Just give me a countdown when you're ready to go. I'll get this kicked off the right way. Whoa. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> okay. Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome into the rebrand of Sports, sports Day, Day Insider. Insider. I was trying to do my own echoes on the back of that. I don't know if that actually worked or not. Uh, that's What's it rebranded from, Kevin? Well, you know, I don't even remember what it used to be called. Some uh, some terrible name that some idiot came up with. But anyway, we're, we're on to a brand new day, and I'm, I'm happy to be here and, and welcome my old pals, David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. And I want to assure everyone, today's show will follow the template that the Oscars did on Sunday night. So I think everyone will be very happy with what they see. Yeah, that's a good idea, isn't it? I tell you what, I, I felt like I was watching a, a, a restaurant opening. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh. I can't. Of course, it didn't help by the fact that I hadn't watched any of those movies. You know, I have not seen a single well, I saw Mank, which I thought was really not very good. Nah, you no, know? pedestrian. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and was it really... was the best film nominee. Yeah. Yeah. Best film. You know, I love Gary Oldman. He's terrific. Uh, and I and I love the story. I love Citizen Kane. I love the fact that Herman Mankiewicz mm-hmm. wrote this and did such a great job. It's it's one of the all time greats. But but holy cow, I just thought it was so wooden uh, and the dialogue was so stiff. And that's a crazy thing to say about a guy who who wrote great dialogue you know, for, for his movies. So, yeah. Glenn close. Uh, I'm sorry for Glenn that she didn't get another Oscar. Now it's tied with Peter O'Toole for most times nominated with no wins. Uh, but that's, that's good company. Peter O'Toole. Come on. Oh, sure. So once again, uh, we are hitting that hip audience. These are historical facts, Evan. You know, in, in baseball, if, if somebody ties a Babe Ruth record, do you just ignore that it was Babe Ruth? Yes, no, all, we care, yep. all we care about now is Fernando Tatis and whether he's stealing signs and Trevor Bauer and whether he's pissy about something. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty crazy. Things move on so quickly. And I, I noticed on Twitter this morning, Evan, you'll like this, being from Atlanta. I think someone tweeted this morning that uh, was raving about Trey Young and how people don't understand how important he is that Atlanta finally has an iconic athletic figure, something that the city has been missing. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. And has never had. <laughs> so Dominique was not not big for you, Evan? Dominique, Maravich. <laughs> yeah. Nah. No, he was talking all sports. He didn't limit it to just basketball. Oh, uh, I thought oh, he was talking he was in Atlanta. No, yeah, no, no, no. No, no, Aaron, no. Aaron Murphy, Negro, no Chipper, Eddie Matthews, Chipper. Yeah. Eddie Matthews played one season in Atlanta, Kevin. That's still what he played one season in Houston too. He yeah, was well, 500th. He, 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 
He hit his 500th home run for the Astros. That was front page news of the Houston Post, pal. Oh, so now you're talking about newspapers. We're really dating ourselves. (laughs) You work for a newspaper, pal, okay? I work for DallasNews.com. I am am an editorial content production. Stop it. Stop it. Exactly. All right, let's move on to more relevant things than Evan. Uh, Let's let's talk about the Cowboys because they got a draft this week. The draft is finally here, David. No more mocks. Well, maybe a couple. Well, no. <laughs> Let's not yeah. go that far. A couple more. more mocks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but things are are uh, are boiling up here for those Cowboys, and uh, we'll we'll see what they're going to do here with that tenth pick. Uh, but before we talk about that, we want to talk about somebody who bowed out this week, and uh, and that was Sean Lee, who uh, who announced his retirement in a very elegant and typical of him, I thought, statement uh, about. Uh, his career with the Cowboys and recognizing the fact that it was a little disappointing because of all the injuries. Uh, but he, he went out the, the same way he played and exhibited himself with class all the way. Yeah. He's a, uh, you know, often at the, at the end of a career, you want to uh, gauge a, a player's worth or, or what they were able to accomplish by uh, well, is this player going to be in the hall of fame? Sean Lee is not going to be in the hall of fame. Um, you know, the, the acclaim they receive is often tied to whether or not they won a, a Super Bowl. Sean Lee and the Cowboys didn't win a Super Bowl uh, during his 11 seasons with the club. But in my mind, you know, th- that is not the only definition of great. I, I think there are great players who are dealt uh, a difficult deck or a difficult hand that they have to play. And that was the case with uh, Sean Lee and the injuries. Um, when he was on the field, there wasn't a more productive Cowboy defender. I mean, there's a period of four or five years where when he was off the field with injury, uh, they really had no chance to win. They weren't competitive defensively. Uh, when he was on the field, they were much different. Uh, and, and the numbers bored out. I mean, it was dramatic. It'll go from averaging something like 17 and a half points uh, defensively when he was on the field and like 32 to 33 when he wasn't. And this was over a sample size of more than, you know, close to a season over three to four years. So his impact was undeniable. Uh, but, but this is a guy through injuries that missed three and a half seasons, 58 games out of a, out of a 11 year career. And in one stretch, I believe he missed 31 out of 42 games, uh, with a wide array of injuries, wrist, uh, knee, ACL, uh, neck, uh, sports hernia this past year. Uh, it, it was a moving target with him. And, you know, I, I think he just played with a, a ferocity that his body couldn't handle, uh, or, or exceeded, uh, you know, the limitations of his body and, and that caught up with him, but, um, his, the way he studied it, to me, a lot of things to say about Sean Lee, but the fact that he is regarded was universally respected and, uh, looked up to as a leader, having missed so many games, speaks to what a special player he really was. And just because you're not going to get those ultimate accolades at the end uh, doesn't mean it's not worthy of praise. And and I know we need to go on and get to the draft here, but you know I, I'll give another example. I think a team example. I've always, I've always thought one of the most, uh, not one of the most, the most underrated uh, team in NFL history 
is that Buffalo team that went to four consecutive Super Bowls and lost four consecutive Super Bowls. The the perseverance, the uh, uh, the commitment to your craft, the uh, overcoming um, the the frustrating elements of falling short and putting yourself in that position time and time again, I think is one of the most impressive things in team sports in NFL history. And I think on an individual level, Sean Lee falls into that because not only did he come back constantly from one injury after another, he came back to play at a high level and uh, you didn't see it impact his attitude, his intensity or his approach. I know I can't disagree with any of that. He would have been a great player when if he'd been healthy more often than not. Uh, when he was on the field, you know, there was no question he was the best player on the field, I thought. Uh, always, a great tackler, always great routes, always diagnosed the plays, came up with turnovers. I think he would have gone down as one of the all-time greats if he hadn't been hurt so much, certainly as one of the all-time great Cowboys. But let's talk about now what the Cowboys did when they drafted Sean Lee. They, they knew he had that uh, injury history yes. when they took him. In the seventh round. So he was a little bit of a reach there in the second round. They took him. I'd say, you know, it paid off. Uh, he had a he had a good career for them. There's no question about that. If you could get that from every second round pick, you're doing pretty well. But it did encourage them to take those kind of risks in the second round, swinging for the fences. Uh, we saw that with Sean in 2010. And since then, we saw them take that chance on Randy Gregory in 2015, Jalen Smith in 2016. Those were guys that uh, both uh, had questions about them of some kind, some sort, uh, and the Cowboys decided to, to jump up. Uh, we, we could say that in some ways those have worked out because Randy Gregory is still here. Uh, we're going to see if he's going to be a full-time player or not. Uh, Jalen Smith has had his had his moments, uh, had his moments that he wasn't as good, and I don't know that I wouldn't rather have Miles Jack instead of uh, Jalen Smith. Miles Jack was available to the Cowboys the linebacker out of UCLA at the same time. They didn't take him, and and uh, he's been on the field a lot more than Jalen Smith has and been more consistent than Jalen Smith has. So um, I, I think that that leads to the question of this year, do you think the Cowboys still have that same mindset in the second round that, well, we're going to really – we're going to take a little bit of a risk here and take a guy that, uh, that maybe other people wouldn't want to, to do the same thing with? That that is their risk reward round, and you know I think part of it we I think we talked before uh, on this podcast about how they they've kind of settled in and made uh, the safer pick in the first round. They they haven't really you know you know swung for the fences on that, but but they've then it's like okay, all bets are off in the second round, and and you know like I said, Sean Lee, but also they did right after that. You know, they came back with Bruce Carter in the second round that next year, the linebacker, and he was hurt. And the sense was, well, uh, you know, his his worth is is artificially deflated because of the injuries. And if we keep him healthy, what's he going to be like? And, and you know, it's not always about health. Uh, in 2019, they took defensive tackle Tristan Hill in the second round. And a lot of people were saying, well, wait a minute, this is – yeah, this guy has an upside, but there are questions about his approach to the game. Uh, you know, he hasn't been with the game that long at the level he's played. You know, this is a nice pick in the third or fourth, but do you really want to go there? And, and the Cowboys use the second round to project. They go, they take a guy who may go third round, but they'll say, you know what? There's no way we're going to get him. We feel confident in him, so let's just jump up there and do it because we know he'll be gone and, and we're intrigued by this player. 
Um, but too often the player they've intrigued by doesn't work out. You know, Gavin Escobar was another guy, a second round pick. They were really intrigued by, didn't work out. So I would argue they should not, uh, based, uh, I think that the history is, is too sporadic. And, and I think even, you know, it's interesting. I believe they would point to Jalen Smith and say, well, look, that was a guy who was a top five, 10 talent pick, uh, because of the injury, he was available in the second round. Um, but you know, a lot of people thought he was going to go in the third round, but Dallas was convinced New England was going to do something with them right after them in the second. So they had to take him there. And, and I think on some levels, some people in the organization would still argue, well, Jalen Smith was a good second round pick. That's a good example of risk reward and we're reaping the rewards. Well, but Jalen Smith didn't play his rookie season when he did play his first season, which was his second season. Um, really very pedestrian, got pretty good by the end of the season, but was not much more than an average player to start. You know, then he had a really good season. And now over these last couple of seasons, you look at him and go, well, has he really built on that promise that he showed in his third year in the league? And most people would say he is not. So, um, you know, but so, so that's an example. I, I would not. I would think that Dallas has four picks in the top 100. You know, they stayed true to their board and got Trayvon Diggs in the second last year, which is which a very solid sound pick. A little surprising he was still there at that point. They were actually discussing whether or not to take him in the first round on the plateau. So they were pleasantly surprised he was there. Um, I, I don't think, you know, again, we've talked about this before. I'd be more in favor of packaging some picks and move up in the second or third round not taking a risk in the second round and like go, okay, let's get back to our board here in the third. All right. So you, you are following the Tim Kalashaw uh, role, which is really a dangerous territory to do not put that on me. Do not put that on me. (laughs) Tim says they should be packaging picks and trading up. But are you saying though, I believe the more picks you have in the top 100, the better. Uh, and I'm, and I'm as good probably with a 90 as I am with a, with a 60, uh, at that point, if I'm going to keep four, uh, I, I just want to have that at least four picks in the top 100. You're still not going to, you're still going to have that if you trade up, aren't you? Well, um, maybe you can domino up and then use some of your fourths and fifths to package and get back into the bottom of that, you know, 100, that would be the ideal scenario if you could pull it off. You know, I will say they have. Uh, you know, Demarcus Lawrence is an example of a guy where uh, they packaged some picks and moved up into the top of the second round because they knew uh, that pass rush plateau was going to be gone and they weren't going to get a pass rusher unless they moved up into the top of the second. Uh, depending on how the first round of this draft unfolds on uh, Thursday night, I think they need to look at that and be opportunistic and say, does it make more sense to move up here in the second round identify another player we know we can get uh, that's going to step in and basically start from us for day one. Is that worth giving up one of our uh, picks in the top 100 and and, and you keep the 99 or whatever? I I think you can make an argument for that if it's a player that you you really like and, and is a good, strong bet. Okay, let's 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 get right into it now. We're going to talk, and, and Evan, you're going to have to pay attention here because I'm going to ask. We're each going to make the Cowboys' first round pick, uh, and so let's say at ten uh, that uh, Kyle Pitts is still available, the Florida tight end, which 
Nobody really believes that's going to happen, but you know, weirder things have happened. Derwin James sure dropped a long way in a draft a couple of years ago. He was supposed to be a top 10 pick. I, I still believe the Cowboys should have traded up and taken him instead of Leighton Vander Esch. But let's just say, let's just say this. If, if he's there, do the Cowboys take him, David? Yes. Yeah, I, I think so too. Evan, what about you? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like if there's one – Take all the quarterbacks out of the mix. Um, but if you take all the quarterbacks out of the mix, I feel like the one potential difference maker in the first round uh, of an elite, potentially historic level is Kyle Pitts. Um, he can absolutely dominate a game in in, in a different way than, than we've seen. We, we know, you know, what pass catching and effective tight ends can do to kind of give an offense more nuance and yeah, if he's available, I take him. I don't see him being available. And and if he's not, then I think I go back to the, to the, to the Patrick's retain route. Yeah. And I think, I think another reason he won't be there is because if he's there at 10, that likely means at least two receivers have been taken. And this is a very deep draft at receiver. Uh, you can get some starting receivers. I think teams can get in the second round. So are you really going are two wide receivers going to go at the top of the draft when you can say, you know, well, look, basically, you know, we're getting why would you take the second receiver in the draft if Kyle Pitts is still on the board? Is is what I'm going at. So I I think that's why uh, another reason he's less likely to be there. I can't I can't see I can't see him getting past Atlanta, but then I'm just nuts, but well, we knew that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see him getting past Atlanta either. And uh, I, I do think uh, one of the questions would come up because, look, if if, uh, if Pitts is there, that might mean that one of the cornerbacks is gone. So uh, certainly that could change the, the Cowboys' focus as well. But it, we Evan brought up Patrick Sertain, uh, the cornerback from Alabama. And of course, he's been in the mix all along, uh, been, been seen as a guy – who uh, has all the intangibles that you want as a cornerback. But I thought this was really interesting the other day that when Yahoo Sports did its little draft preview of the 10th best value, and that was, according to them, Patrick Sertain. Uh, and, it, and it said all these great things about him. They didn't ask for a pro comp. And you, know, you want to know who they gave? <laughs> Byron Jones. Byron Jones, the guy the Cowboys said, ah, we can get a better cornerback than you. We're just going to let you walk. Well, they got they'll get him a lot cheaper than what the five years, uh, eighty two million that Byron Jones got from Miami, which was the issue on letting him go. But no, you're right. Uh, and but but what happened with Byron Jones too? They tried him for two years at safety and then moved him to corner. And went, oh, you're a pretty good corner. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen with Sertain. You know, I, I take him. I take uh, you know J.C. Horn. Uh, I take either one. Either one of those guys, I I don't mind. You know. And if, if they end up trading down, but if New England wants to trade up and to have a shot at a quarterback, New England's at 15, the Cowboys at 10, I don't have a problem with that. I think they can still get Caleb Farley at that point. I, I realize he's a guy with a draft with an injury history here, uh, but I think I'd be willing to take that chance if I was going to pick up a first-round draft choice next year. I like my cornerbacks who don't have microdisectomies <laughs> when I'm taking them that high. <laughs> Uh, I mean, to me, it all depends on this. What are your hope? If you're the Cowboys, what are your hopes for this year? What are your on-field hopes? Well, they got to win. Year? If they your hopes win, or your I'm, expectations? Your expectations that you need to be in the playoffs in a very bad division, and that yeah. last year 
that you have to hit the uh, restart, you know, default button, get back to where you envisioned you would be last year. The Cowboys are in a place there's where no you've qu- got to win now. There's I, no question I, about that. And, and so I there's want no them question. to take the best player. Yeah, I, I think that they – look, they didn't add any cornerbacks uh, in, in free agency. Clearly, they're targeting that. There are cornerbacks available. Greg Newsom from Northwestern is also a guy that's been talked about. Uh, and it's outstanding depth in the second round at corner. Yeah, uh, there th- There's a really deep class at corner in the second round what, right where they're going to pick. So uh, even if they, for some reason, didn't get a corner in the first, they could still get one in the second. But I'm telling you, I, I think they need to come out of this draft with two corners. It's a very good draft at that position. Uh, they need to get younger there. They certainly need to get more talented there. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, Cowboys segment. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Rangers, uh, and we're going to talk about Kim Mulkey leaving Baylor today. Uh, so Dave is going to sign off because he's got stuff to do at the Cowboys. They're going to they're going to talk about the draft. They're going to tell everybody who they're drafting, right, David? That's what they usually do. And then uh, you know Jerry and Stephen and, and the head coach like to take me aside and pick my brain a little bit and see <laughs> see if I'm if I'm in agreement with with how they're thinking. If they they seem to be on the on the right page, or or if I would tweak things a bit. Hey, David, very quick question for you before you leave: Is are are the Joneses going to be on the supervillain yacht? for the uh for the draft or where are they doing this from this year not this year and 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 to clarify only jerry and his daughter charlotte and their grandchildren were on the supervillain lot yacht uh last year uh they will all be at the back at the star after a one-year pandemic hiatus did they i just want to can you confirm did they destroy any small countries after the pick with that yacht they could have. It has that capability. Okay, good. That's right. nice. That's nice. It wasn't okay. a Bond film. It, it, it wasn't a Bond. I think that's where it was originally used, and they purchased it from a Bond film. Okay. Thank you, David. Thanks for that, Evan. Thanks for bringing up the supervillain yacht. See you, David. All right, uh, Evan, uh, let's talk about those Rangers. And uh, listen, uh, is it official yet? Do the Rangers suck? Yeah. Probably. I mean, here's the deal, Kevin. If if we're if we're gauging on wins and losses for 2021, the record is going to probably suck. I, I think that um, the the flaws are starting to be exposed, um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some real potential uh, answers being found for for the long term. Um, some in the affirmative. And some in, in in the negative, and and I think we we're going to talk about those right now. But I, uh, we'll start well. I'm since I'm Mister Positive, and you know yeah, that you are. Uh, well, let's start with Adolis Garcia because um, he he certainly exceeded expectations for the short for the short period that he's been in the big leagues. Second week in the in the big leagues, he is the American League Player of the Week. He's, he's provided both offense and defense, um, and it's just been, I think, better than anybody could have could have really expected. Yeah, I, I'll say. Uh, he's been really exciting to watch out there. You know, everything he does, you know, he's he uh, he, he drill walk uh, in the game Monday night. He, uh, you know, gets a, it's a single up the middle. It's, it's not like he's always swinging for the fences. Um the, the one caveat I have on him so far, and this is interesting because I remember when he first came up and I seem to remember asking you, so what kind of outfield, this was last year, what kind of outfielder is? And he said, ah, he's not supposed to be very good. Uh, and so 
I, I watched him in the outfield, and and it, certainly he's fast and he's got a tremendous arm. Uh, but I think the one thing that that you notice is that, and and he takes good routes to the ball, all good. He made a nice catch Monday night going into the wall, showed that he was pretty fearless uh, making that catch. There seems to be a communication problem out there, uh, and and I don't know if he's actually even talking to the other outfielders, but there was a ball, a Mike Trout ball last week that was hit out uh, to the warning track. It uh, should have been caught. Uh, he was playing left field. Leody Tavares was playing center. Ball fell to the ground. Uh, last night or Monday night, there was a ball hit to the wall in right center, not quite to the wall, but to the warning track. Uh, Joey Gallo seemed to think maybe he was supposed to take it, he ran behind uh, Adolis at that point, and Adolis did make the catch finally. Uh, do you get the idea that there is an issue out there with communications? Well, there was also a ball in Chicago that uh, it would have been a above-average catch, but also looked like um, there was some degree of, of hesitancy. And I asked Chris Woodward about this, and I mean, he, his response was, you know, I wouldn't want to run into a Dolis. Um, <laughs> I, I think the biggest right now, I think the biggest issue is probably this. He played very little center field in, in spring training and has played very little center field with the guys who are on this team. And so I think there is still something of a, of a getting to know you and in, in a feeling out process there. Um, I, I think last night the ball, it, it, it certainly looked like Joey was aware and that, that Adolis did call him off. Maybe it was a little bit late, but Joey got Joey got the word and, and kind of backed off. Um, and so I think that, that some of that is, is going to be a work in progress because I don't think the Rangers planned for Adolis Garcia to be their center fielder. Um they spent all of spring looking at, at Leody Tavares and, and Eli White in center field. And so now you've, you've kind of changed on the fly. And, and so should they have spent a little bit more time on Adolis in center field? Uh, they needed to get Adolis at bats. That was the main thing that they needed to see in spring training because it's going to be his, bats that, his bat that keeps him in the lineup. Um, and, and so I'm not that – again, I'm not that concerned. The fact of the matter is he makes – he makes athletic plays out there. He's got a good arm and he's, he's got good range and he takes, as you said, good routes. And he certainly wasn't fear. He, he showed no fear going into the wall last night. Um, the other thing for me that has shown up a little bit is, and again, this is being very picky in, but, but we're talking about a guy with, with star talent. And so I'm, I'm breaking it down on a, on a star level. Um, I feel like, there's some base running stuff that's going to have to be addressed because he is an above average. He's got above average speed, but I feel like his jumps on the three stolen base attempts have not been very good. And it, it, it seems to me like his first step isn't great. It's almost like he turns and pivots instead of a crossover step. Yeah. And so I think those are, those are the two things that are, that, that are going to have to be addressed. But listen, the number one overriding issue here has been that he has shown far more plate discipline than had ever been seen during his time with St. Louis um, or in their organization. He's shown much more willingness to, to hit the ball to right field. And I think last week he hit, he hit nine balls, put nine balls in play. And the guys who hit balls harder than him in the big leagues were Fernando Tatis, Nelson Cruz, Carlos Santana, and I'm, I'm losing one other name, but it was some guys who with, with big-time chops. 
this guy hits the ball hard when he makes contact. And speaking of people who are not hitting the ball hard uh, when they make contact, that's the guy next to him out there, Joey Gallo. That's been a, a real uh, disappointment this year after such a hot start to spring training uh, when he, he just looked like he was really on and it looked like, well, okay, they, they've finally gotten the, the globe life field out of his head and everything's going to be good for Joey and we'll see what he does. Yeah, and I, I, I first of all, I want to say that I, I I don't want to call Joey's season to this point a disappointment. Um, I think it's a little bit of a head scratcher, uh, but I think there's also been a real fine line between between being ultra disciplined and getting a little too passive at the plate. I think over the last week he's been a little bit passive. The the number of called third strikes is a little bit alarming. There have been eight in in, in the past week. Only 10 on the season, but eight in the past week. Um, for me, uh, I, I feel like Joey maybe has said, you know, I'm not going to get any pitches to hit, so I'm going to have to go up there and look for walks. And that can't be his approach either. And so it, there's, you know, there's this fine line that you have to dial back in, and he's going to have to be willing to put some of those balls in play. Um The I guess the disappointing thing is that there there have been there have been some pitches to hit that he has either missed or has not put into play hard since the first weekend of the season. You know he hit I think eight balls um, during that first series at Kansas City, and they averaged 102 miles an hour off the bat. He was scorching them just like he was in spring training. Then you know what happened? The Rangers came home. They came to Arlington, and since. Balls are coming off the bat at 84 miles an hour. So I, what does that tell me? I don't know. Is it a coincidence? I don't know. But it does raise the question in my head. Did he come back home and did the ballpark get in his head again? And if that's the case, that's not a good thing. No, it's not. Uh, the Rangers are going to have to figure this out because this is a big issue. Uh, if they're going to trade Joey Gallo, uh, which uh, I think we all think that's probably what's going to happen uh, at this point, uh, what are you going to get for him if his, if his slugging percentage is uh, 280? Uh, 275 and, as of Tuesday morning, which is 77th in the American League among 89 qualifiers, which is not good, especially when 89 is Elvis Andrus at 197. Yeah. So the, it's going to be a real issue for the for the Rangers going forward. They're going to have to get Joey figured out. He's, he's to me, one of the – the top three priorities, uh, trying to figure out what to do with him because you're going to have to maximize the return if you're going to make that trade and or if you're going to decide whether, well, we're going to make a run at him here and make a run at his agent, Scott Boris, to see if they can do something. He, I, I would I'd dial that down a little bit. I, I'd, I'd say he is the number one priority. I, I don't think it's I, – I, I don't know what is second. Obviously, there is development for all these players, um, but he is number one in my book. All right. And uh, speaking of number one, the number one coach in this state, man or woman, just walked out the door. Uh, Kim Mulkey leaving Baylor to go back home to Louisiana, not back home to LSU. You know, she went to Louisiana Tech. Yeah, this uh, is where I've got a real problem with this. And go ahead. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, Yeah, she's going back home uh, to Louisiana. She's going to be the the new uh, basketball coach at LSU, the women's coach, not the men's coach. You know, I asked her that last year uh, about rumors that she was going to LSU to coach the men, not the women. 
And when I asked her if she could do it, she said, absolutely, I could. Uh, she said, there's a there's a, there's many women capable of, of doing it. Well, she said there were many women who know the X's and O's, only a handful who could do it. And obviously she counted herself among the, that handful. I think I probably would, too. Uh, I wrote a column last year saying that I thought she was the best coach in the state, uh, man or woman. Uh, and I believe that. Uh, I think a lot of other people believe it as well. She, all she's ever done is win everywhere she's been. Uh, when she was in high school, she won four state championships as the point guard at Hammond High. She uh, went on to Louisiana Tech. They won uh, two national titles there while she was a player. They won a national title there when she was an assistant coach. And then, of course, she won three national titles at Baylor as a head coach. She is the only woman to win at all three levels as a player, as an assistant, and as a head coach. She also won an Olympic gold medal. So that's a pretty impressive resume. Uh, absolutely. And I, I, I think that um, I, I've seen some mixed reactions from Baylor fans about, about her leaving. Listen, the, she brought the women's program there to absolute national prominence, made it, if not the best program in the country, certainly in the photo finish with, with UConn. Um, I feel like, uh, if Kim Mulkey is ready for another, another opportunity and LSU wants to give her a ton of money, then what Baylor needs to say is, is, is good luck to you. And hopefully when we see you down the road, we'll beat you. Um, but thank you for establishing this program as, as a national powerhouse. I, I, the biggest issue I've got is just with the, uh, with the marketing of this whole thing. I think it's pretty um, LSU has sold this as Kim Mulkey coming home and she's returning to her state, her home state, but let's not ever, when has LSU ever claimed somebody from Louisiana tech or even acknowledged that Louisiana tech existed prior to the signing of Kim Mulkey as the new basketball coach there? No, that's never happened. And uh, I'm with you on that one. I, I tell you what's happened here a little bit in my mind. And I, and I wrote a column, uh, uh, that p will post, uh, uh, sometime Tuesday about this. And I, and I raised this point is that, listen, they're building a new basketball arena in Waco and, uh, and Kim had expressed the desire that it be built on campus. And that was the plan under the previous administration. The new administration comes in, Linda Livingstone is the president uh, Mac Rose, the athletic director. And because of the pandemic and because of budget cuts and different things, uh, so all of that stuff went out the window. And now there are being new discussions. And one of them being that they would build a new arena off campus at a site on the Brazos, closer to downtown, which just so happens to be able to uh, to surround it with shops and apartments and all kinds of other things that the city could monetize. Uh, and maybe the, maybe old Baylor benefit from it too. Uh, and Kim was not in favor of that. You know, she, as she put it, she was absolutely in favor of it being on campus. And I know that might seem like a little thing. Well, okay. You're going to get a new, you're going to get a brand new gym, right? And you're going to have, your office is going to be in, it's going to be really nice. What, what's the big deal if you got to drive over to this, this place off campus? Well, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there, but let me just re remind you of something that Kim did when she was the assistant at uh, LaTeX uh, to Leon Barmore, 
there came a time when uh, she was offered several times to leave uh, to go someplace else. And she never took that because she just, as she told me, I'm just a Louisiana girl. And, and I just thought maybe I was supposed to stay here and, and replace Leon when he leaves. Well, they finally made the offer to her when Leon left. Uh, they offered her a four-year deal. She wanted a five-year deal. They wouldn't budge. She wouldn't budge. She left. She went to Baylor. Now, what's the big deal about four years or five years? I mean, that'd be a sticking point, but that's the way Kim works. When she gets her teeth in something, and this is the way it is, this is the way it's going to be, and I'm I'm not budging on this. That's what one of the things that made her such a great competitor and such a great coach, but it also makes her the kind of person who decides, you know what, I think I'm going to leave Baylor and go – back home to Louisiana. Well, two things there. One, number one, she learned all of that from Leon Barmore. Um, because Leon Barmore, there was a Leon Barmore way and there was the highway. And, um, when he decided how things were going to be done at Louisiana tech, he ran the athletic department basically at Louisiana tech for a long, long time. Uh, so that was, that was the way that worked. Um, and, and Kim does not fall far from the tree there on, on that, on that approach. And secondly, look, let's face facts. You know, when LSU comes calling, when the SEC comes calling, they're going to have a really good chance to lure you away strictly because of the money that they can potentially offer you. And if this is the last challenge for Kim Kim Mulkey in her career, um, and LSU wants to make her the kind of of financial uh, offering that, that she would not be able to ever see, then good for her. Yeah, I, I think it's okay. She's 58 years old. This is probably her last stop, uh, last chance to go and do something different and do something new. Uh, and and I'm sure she looks at it that way. She's going to get a little more money, not a lot more money than when she was making at Baylor. But I will say this, this sure uh, raises the pressure on Scott Drew, uh, who just won a national title at Baylor. Uh, and and now people are going to expect you to do a little bit of what, what Kim did and also a little bit uh, of, of pressure on Dave Aranda the football coach who's got a long way to go. And let me just say this. I, I, I finish up with this. What Kim did is going to be good for women's college basketball coaches all across the country. Because I think what we've seen, look around the country at all the powerhouse schools. Pat Summit was at, at Tennessee for her entire career, basically. Tara Vanderveer has been at Stanford her entire career. Gino Uriyama was at Connecticut his entire career. You did not have schools coming and saying we are going to offer you lucrative dollars to come and run our basketball program and now i think that women's college basketball coaches are going to be viewed as more valuable commodities for the for their op, for their for their ability to build programs so that's going to be good for women's college basketball and good for the coaches and it's and, and, and good for all of them and good for kim Well, that wraps up another episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas' own John Dufalo. Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows. And if you liked what you heard... Please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week.